Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. And today we are talking about crystals, rocks, and how it relates to all things witchy. And today my guest is Kathleen Borealis. Kathleen, who are you? (laughs) I am a scientist professionally, and I am also a lifelong witch. Scientist and a witch. By the way, I heard about you from our mutual friend, Firelight. Hey, baby. And... um, Firelight was telling me that he was like, I know a witch who is a scientist, like actually knows about rocks. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, I need to talk to this person. And hence I reached out to you. And I'm so fascinated by this juxtaposition of scientist and witch. And yes, you can be both just like I am an atheist and a witch. So Kathleen, yeah. please tell us what sort of scientist are you? So I I identify as a geologist. So I have a degree in classic geology, um, but I also, in terms of work, uh, I'm a geophysicist. So I work with kind of geophysical instrumentation to kind of understand the earth. So this would be, think about like seismology. I do a lot of uh, waveform analysis and I work with natural hazards. So that's things like earthquakes and tsunamis and volcanoes. uh, And I do that kind of thing. And I work at a university as a research scientist. Yeah, and it sounds as though that it's not just that you're in this ivory tower of research, right? You're actually going out in the field, you're putting your hands into the earth, you're touching rocks, things like that. Yeah, so I do, I'm, um, the way I would describe it is I am kind of the technical staff. So I do a lot of like installation of instruments and maintaining of instruments. So kind of the backbone of the um, the data that's used for research. I do research as well, but most of what I do is kind of keeping everything running. So yeah, I'm out in the field all the time, installing things, fixing things. And uh, it's amazing the number of different things that can break an instrument in the field, like bees, rats, moose, <laughs> bears. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty, it's a, it's a crazy field. You kind of have to try to like, think of all the different ways things can break. So I love that you're bringing this up because it also is indicating to me that you're somebody who's used to working with measurements of things. So you are comfortable with the numbers. You're comfortable with the technical aspects of working with natural materials. Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm a data person. Um, I know in your interview with Firelight, you talked about having like a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, data. <laughs> Um, because I definitely do that. I think mine is a little less organized. I have like a box of like little note cards. Uh, but yeah, I basically do the same thing. I'm always taking notes about things, how they work, how they don't work, that kind of thing. Perfect. And you are a very technically inclined, well, uh, researched academic scientist, but also you mentioned that you are a witch. So what sort of witch are you? So I, I've never really kind of like done any specific training or found a book that was like perfectly exactly how I felt. So I currently identify as an animist, um, which is actually a term from kind of anthropology, which is kind of the idea of like woo or spirit in everything. Um, and then I'm working right now actually with the idea of incorporating uncertainty into my practice. So not needing to kind of explain things or define things and focusing more on kind of like personal experience as opposed to explanation, if that makes any sense. This to me is totally my jam because on one hand, your day job, it's all about the, the explanation, right? Science. Yes. On the other hand, you also live in this world where it's beyond the explanation. Definitely. Yeah. 
And I, I, wow. I think it's important. I mean, I think, you know, in science, you know, what I do is there's something that's unknown and we kind of poke at the edges to try to figure out what it is. And we come up with explanations and we test it. And in my practice, I basically say, there's this thing that I don't understand. I don't know how to test it. I don't know how to poke at it. So maybe I just let it be unknown. And I know that for human brains, that's very difficult to do. It's just not the way we're wired. So it, it's definitely been um, kind of a practice to do that, but I think it's actually really rewarding to have, like to just have part of your life where you don't have to explain things and it doesn't have to make sense. It's just really kind of, it's like, ah. <laughs> this is so refreshing to hear, especially from somebody who is a scientist by trade that you can be both. And one of the reasons why, especially I wanted to speak to you besides the fact that you are both a scientist and a witch is that I have started a 30 day experiment with clear quartz and witch talk right now is just a flame about this talk about Moldavite. I am seeing my really good friends who are witches, um, experienced witches putting on classes about crystals, crystals, rocks, minerals, all that stuff is and has always been the rage when it comes to magic. So I wanted us to discuss a little bit about what does that mean? Like if you're a witch who works with crystals, if I am working with clear quartz, if somebody is going to tell you about use this crystal or that crystal, in your experience, exactly what are the use of crystals when it relates to magic? So the way I kind of see it is there's a couple different uses. So there's you kind of come down to kind of like if you're doing spell work or if you're doing kind of like energy work, right? So in spell work, I think people tend to come up with a list of things that are associated with the working they want to do. And then they have those things either in, if you do kind of like more of a, a folk magic, it would be like in a Grigri bag or a mojo kind of all together, um, or you would lay it out and you know, burn a candle kind of thing. So that's kind of the idea of having things close together that are aligned with the intent. Uh, so that would be one way people tend to work with rocks. Another way would be to do, you know, um, working with energies. And so kind of the association of what type of energy um, from comes from that rock or is an enhanced by that rock. So those to me seem to be kind of the two end members of how people tend to work with them. Um, and there's also kind of, I think what's really important to when you're starting is to think about how you think that works, right? So like, what is the important part of the crystal in terms of how that works? Is it like the composition? Is it, you know, the shape? Um, is it just the like atomic structure of that specific mineral? You know, I think that's really important to think about because it's going to really kind of dictate what you need to buy or don't. Oh my God. Like, I think you just very clearly laid out exactly how people are starting to work with these rocks, these crystals, but you're totally right that depending on what you're doing it for, like if you're doing it to make like a, a mojo bag or you're doing it for some sort of like ritual correspondence thingy, which is like, oh, you know, like in this spell, Venus is associated with this rock and I'm making something about love and da 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 da. That's a very different sort of way of working with the crystal than if you're working with the crystal as like, I'm trying to amplify my energy, right? Yeah. Just in general. And maybe some people, they don't even know that difference. And so they're kind of feeling a little bit muddled. Like, how would you work with, as a witch, okay? As a witch, how would you work with crystals in the first way, which is about you're working with, let's say, Venus, and you're trying to work with a stone to kind of tap into that Venusian energy? Right. So, I mean, in terms of working with stones as a witch, I think the most common thing that I do is I do a lot of um, like prosperity work for friends of mine. Uh, and usually I know that you probably talked to me about this. I, I basically only use like magnetite and pyrite in most of my work. So when I do these, these mojos and things like that, if it's for prosperity, I use um, pyrite, which is also known as fool's gold. And I would put it in there as like a uh, representation of gold, basically. 
Um, and then I use magnetite because it has measurable attraction, right? It's a, it's a magnet. So it's as like you are attracting gold. You know, to me, it's a very simple kind of like, it's like a language, right? So I want to attract. So I will use magnetite because it attracts and gold. So I will use pyrite. And that would be how I would make. And then you put it in a mojo bag and you carry it with you and you feed it and that kind of thing. So that's generally the way that I would do it. If I were doing like a candle magic spell, I would probably just surround a candle with little bits of pyrite, right? So, you know, like I want to attract gold, which is, you know, your basic stand-in for prosperity. Okay, so what I'm hearing from you is I think a really big strategic hack, okay? Because I think a lot of young witches, they just look at a spell book and it says, the color red goes with this. So you want to get like a red stone, you know? But what you're talking about is something even more, I think, significant, which is, hey, you want to bring prosperity in your life? Well, hello, magnets, right? Magnets yeah. attract. And you want to bring gold into your life? Well, obviously, real gold is super expensive. So let's use something <laughs> like gold. So I think that it's not just about the color, right? It's not something, it doesn't have to be just about color, which I think in some ways, it's cool to start that way, but it's a little bit like, okay, but what's the really, what's the foundational thought behind why we would choose it, right? And you're going yeah. straight to the source, which is, we're trying to bring something to you, like you're a magnet and like the money's coming to you, like it's magnetized to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, a lot of these, other things to think about is that depending on what culture you grew up in, different things are going to have different associations. So for instance, I currently live in Asia and lucky colors and, you know, colors for prosperity are different than they are where I grew up in the U.S. So I would associate, you know, if I was doing something and I wanted color associations for prosperity and luck, I would use green. Uh, and here it's basically just always red and gold. So I think it's also really important to think about where you grew up and, you know, the culture you grew up in, because that association is going to be stronger for you than one from another culture that you maybe are learning about. So while you can use color correspondences, I think it's, it's better to go just as simple as possible, you know, like if your monkey brain sees this, it's shiny, it looks like gold, that kind of thing. <laughs> So I, I really think that a lot of these big association lists are really intimidating and, you know, you don't have to start with a big intimidating list. I almost think it's better to start with what you want. And then before you even look at a list, think about what reminds you of that. So maybe, you know, going from that, it would be like, if I'm creating a bag to, let's say um, it's a curse bag, right? I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay. I want to bury this under like the, the doorstep of my enemy or something like that. I would probably not choose a, a rock that has magnetic qualities, right? I would choose something that has repellent qualities. Yeah, I mean, or something that, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think what you would use, something that like maybe like falls apart or, you know, kind of different, different types of things, you know, so um, maybe something really ugly or yeah, something that like degrades really quickly. Um, something that rusts would be kind of fun to do. <laughs> mm, right. So instead of just going by certain things like color, maybe a new witch can be like, what sort of properties do these rocks actually have in the natural world? And how can they translate into being a more effective, and it doesn't even have to be like a, a bag, like a spell bag, or people want to call it like mojo bag or anything like that. It could be also like when you're doing, as you mentioned, candle spells, or maybe you just have rocks on your altar. Like, do you have rocks on your altar? Do you have altars? So I, I do, I have basically two main altars. So I do work a lot with ancestors. Um, so I have an ancestor altar. Uh, and then I have my main altar. And then um, depending on where I live, uh, I do move a lot. So I will have multiple different ones depending on where I am. Um, it really just really depends on the area I am. Um, I have rocks, but I actually work with rocks in a little bit different manner because I'm a geologist. So I don't tend to have like crystals. I have actual rocks <laughs> that I've 
usually that I've picked up from very specific locations and that they have like a story and I, a, you know, like a really specific meaning to me. And those are the ones that I tend to have on my altar. Okay. So I think at this point, people are just going to be like, what's the difference then between crystals and rocks? Because we've all seen that TikTok where somebody puts a rock inside one of those tumbler things. And then like a week later, it comes out as this like really beautiful, shiny thing. And then my girl, Benabelle Wen was telling me how like uh, she knows about this company. They are mining for a metal, but selenite happens to be one of the byproducts. It's a waste product in that industrial, uh, that, that industry, because like where you find this metal, you find a lot of selenite. And so the way that we think crystals appear in the, the metaphysical store is very different from how it's actually being mined and what they actually are. People are kind of confused about what's going on. Can you, can you educate us on that? Yeah, so uh, I did actually, I did a whole podcast episode on the difference between rocks, minerals, and crystals. So a mineral is kind of the basic unit of a rock. Um, and a mineral is something that is a solid with a very specified non-organic, so this means, you know, like not plant or animal um, composition. So it has a defined composition and a defined chemical structure. Uh, so that's kind of the definition of a mineral. So a solid with a definite chemical composition and structure. So actually ice is a mineral. Um, and then an individual unit that grows, trying to like not use the word crystal in the definition of crystal. Uh, so an individual mineral that grows will form a crystal. So you can have a rock made up of one mineral with multiple crystals of that mineral. And then a rock is basically made up of lots of different minerals. Okay, so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> As somebody who appreciates science, but at the same time, like I totally also appreciate that scientists tend to be very exact with their language, very exact. Yes. Um, I think that many people might get a little bit tripped up as in, okay, so the crystal forms on the rock? Is that what it is? They're... So generally, a crystal will form in an environment, and the grouping of crystals is the rock. So a rock can either be one type of crystal, or like a granite is multiple different types of minerals, and there's individual crystals of that mineral. So the mineral is basically the description. So if you think of it like the name of the crystal, right? So you would have a crystal of quartz. You would have a crystal of fluorite. Uh, the name quartz or fluorite is going to be the specific composition and structure. So for example, I mean, this is why ice is my favorite example. So it's H2O, that's the chemical composition and it grows in a specific way. I mean, we've all seen how beautiful snowflakes are. So a snowflake is a crystal of ice, which is water. I see. So when people today talk about crystals, they're usually talking about sparkly, shiny, pretty things, but that's not necessarily the scientific definition. Yeah. So a crystal is um, in a scientific definition would be an individual mineral. Um, well, it's an individual growth of a specific mineral, but it's kind of used now to be just like a very pretty decorative rock or solid. I would just use solid. It's usually a, a pretty solid is how we define a crystal. But if you're talking about um, kind of scientifically, the actual crystal is the individual growth of a specific mineral. Um, so when you're talking about a rock, it can be made up of lots of different crystals. But you look at it and you might be like, well, it's just like a little speck. But that little speck is technically a crystal. Is that the reason why rocks, like when you dig the crystal out of the earth, let's say, let's say you're just walking along and you see this rock in nature, would you see like, I don't know, I'm just making this up. Would you see like this gorgeous, like sort of like clear quartz just growing out of the side of the rock? Or is it more like it's, it looks like the rock and you'd have to polish it, you'd have to cut it to get to the sparkly crystal stuff? So 
a lot of when when we're thinking about like a quartz crystal, right? Um, that actual shape is the growth, and that's how that crystal grows. Usually, it will grow in um, a different environment. There's lots of different crystals that will grow in a fluid, so there'll be like a pocket of fluid inside a rock, and they'll grow into that cavity. Uh, and that's just the the dissolved elements that are in that fluid that's causing it to grow. So some minerals like like quartz, you know, you will find in these kind of veins um, in a rock and like an uh, or an opening, and they'll look like we think of them, you know, kind of like the geodes, right? You like open it and it's like a bed of crystals. And they will look like that. Other ones kind of form within a rock itself and you have to break the rock apart to get those individual crystals. So it really depends on how that specific mineral forms and what type of environment it forms in, whether it's gonna be part of a whole rock or kind of a loose individual crystal. But usually if you take one of those quartz crystals and you look at the bottom, um, they will have a spot where it's been broken off of the, the rest of the rock. Are there places on earth, I'm almost envisioning like you're just walking along like a mountain trail and there'll be an entire like field where it's like these rocks split open and it's just filled with like amethyst or something like that. Is it like that or is it more like you're just walking along and then somebody found a way to find out if these rocks have like amethyst or whatever inside them and then they decided to mine it? Like how do we even know? So. For amethyst specifically, usually those form in kind of these voids inside of um, like a, a lava flow. So uh, like a basalt. Um, so you would have to kind of know that the conditions were there in order for it to form. And then you would go and it would basically be like a boring looking rock and you break it open and then you see it. Um, in some other areas, they won't tend to like grow out of the ground or anything like that because you have to remember that a lot of different minerals aren't really stable at Earth's surface temperatures and pressures and they'll start to break down. So normally you'd have to like go into a cave or kind of like break into the edge and get a fresh, you know, piece of rock to, in order to actually see them. Um, but there are some areas where you can go and dig and there are loose crystals in the ground. I know there's one I went to in Montana that was like that, where you just kind of like dig around and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, here's a cool quartz crystal. Cool. Because, you know, okay, so I, the place where I bought my clear quartz from, the person who sells them um, has a really good reputation. But one of the things that she said that made me feel like my sort of like, is this real or is this bullshit? Like thing come up, my antenna go up was she said that more and more you were gonna see, cause people were bringing up this entire idea of is it ethical to mine crystals? Yeah. And she said, well, what many people, and I'm pretending to be her right now, many people say that it's unethical, but you'll also see that more and more crystals, they are wanting to be mined because th there's more and more crystals that are actually like coming out of the earth. So you'll just be walking along and you'll see some crystals. So it's not that you had to even dig that far to get them. They wanna be mined. They're actually coming out from the earth. They wanna be taken by you. Is that uh, bullshit? I don't know. I, I have a really big problem with that because, so we're seeing a lot because we have a lot of mining going on. So the majority of things that are sold as crystals are byproducts of industrial mining. Uh, and industrial mining is things like um, things you need to make steel, things you need to make plastics, um, gold, uh, lithium, um, cobalt, all that kind of stuff. So there is a lot of industrial mining that happens. And because crystals are becoming so popular, it's now becoming the magic word economic to also mine those byproducts. So because it's becoming more economic, more people are doing it and there's more materials coming onto the market. Uh, there are some places where you will see and you will find different minerals kind of like on the ground and stuff like that. I've definitely done that before, but it's not like they're working their way out on purpose. You know, they are perfectly happy where they are. A lot of them, like I said, aren't really stable at surface pressures and temperatures. And so they actually, when they reach the surface over a long period of time will degrade and turn into basically just sediment. So I, I have a really, I have a problem with that kind of thinking because to me it kind of centers humans. And I tend to think that 
you know, I mean, I'm a geologist, so I think in deep time, right? I think in millions of years. And we're just a teeny blip in the geologic time scale. And so I have a big problem with thinking that, you know, all of these amazing minerals that have formed through time want to be found by humans. They don't really care. <laughs> I just want to remind the audience that Kathleen is also an animist. So you're not just coming from the, the mindset of just, oh, you know, that doesn't make any scientific sense as an animist as well, who has no. a geology background, you're, you're making the statement. Yeah, no, no, I don't. I mean, I, I work with, you know, like in my personal practice, most of what I do is work with kind of whole earth. So, you know, when I do my grounding, I ground to the core. Um, when I travel and I, I work with, you know, big forces, I work with earthquakes, I work with volcanoes. This is kind of the earth expressing its like whole power. And we don't really exist to it. I mean, we are this like little teeny blip in the, you know, huge history of the planet. So I think saying that the rocks want to be found by us is centering ourselves as a species when we are not that important. <laughs> Sorry to say it, but we're not. I totally agree with you. I totally, totally, totally agree with you. So does that mean, okay, so speaking of the second way that people do, uh, they utilize crystals and their magic would be the sort of like energies, the amplifying or purification of the energies, which is why I bought these crystals to see if they would amplify Okay, so let me read part of the letter, the instructions that came with this clear quartz, okay? And if you want to just laugh, go for it, okay? <clears throat> okay, so you really want to treat them as batteries. But there are so much more than that, okay? So they can remove blocks. They can do deep soul cleansing work, manifestation work, raise your frequency, channeling work, building crystal grids, enhance your current crystal grids, just to name a few. Okay, so how much of that was bullshit and how much of that do you think may have some experimental and legit um, weight? <laughs> you can't see the face I'm making. I, okay, so first of all, I don't know where crystal grids came from. They just like all of a sudden appeared and everyone started asking me about them. And I was like, what do you even use this? I've never seen this before. So I, I don't get crystal grids at all. Like, I just don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it either. It's like you're putting, for um, those who may not know what crystal grids are, could you please explain them really quickly? I, I mean, it's like a thing and there's like specific places that you put different crystals. And I mean, I just, they, I, they came out of nowhere. I don't know where they came from. Right. I so, almost describe them as sort of like um, a picture that you place and it almost looks like the tree of life, but it's literally like a picture that you can, you can print out, right? You put it on like yeah. a table and then you put crystals on basically, I don't know, it's like coloring, but with crystals. And I'm like, how does that relate yeah, to you? It's like by number, but with crystals that are expensive. So, right. So the list that I read for you, including the part about the crystal grids, you, well, first of all, describe the face that you were making. Just like, just like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> um, I, I think, so my, my understanding of how people are attracted to this kind of work is as a shortcut, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to get somewhere and crystals seem like a shortcut. Uh, but the way I would describe it is that crystals are a tool, but you still have to do the work. Like it's still hard work. So, you know, I, I don't talk about it a lot, but I do have, I have PTSD and I have done a lot of really hard work to kind of work through it. Um, and, you know, I do use crystals, but I don't consider the idea of like, I'm going to hold this crystal and meditate with it and it's going to fix my PTSD. That just doesn't, no, I have to do the hard work. So I think there's this idea and it's being sold as crystals being the shortcut. And it's not a shortcut, it's a tool. Like you don't, you know, buy something from Ikea and then like hold a screwdriver and it builds itself. Like you still have to build it but you have a tool and you know, if you have a power drill, it's faster, but you still have to build it yourself. So like, it's a tool, but you still have to do the hard work. 
I love that metaphor um, that it's almost like maybe seeing crystals more as the power drill rather than trying to manually um, use like a screwdriver. It, it can be something yeah. like that, but you still need to put together the furniture yourself. So, okay, I have this clear crystal, clear quartz. It's beautiful. I like it. Um, it seems like, um, you know, if it doesn't work for me, I could use it as a very pretty but expensive paperweight. So it's, okay, so I'm going to work with it for 30 days. And yesterday when I received it, I held it in my hand because the paper that it came with, the instructions said that it will oscillate ever so slightly in my hand. It didn't. But how can I work with this crystal in a way that you feel would probably be the most beneficial? So I think, well, first of all, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to tell you a little bit about kind of the history of how we got to where we are. Um, because I think it's interesting to think about the history of ideas as well. So the way that we currently think about um, crystal healing and working with stones, you know, there's not a lot of research on this in terms of like academic following and things like that, but it does seem to come out of kind of the spiritualism movement in kind of the, the 1800s. So uh, Corey found this really cool book. It's called The Curious Lore. Oh, can you, Corey from New World Witchery. Yes, Corey from New World Witchery. We send each other stuff, random stuff all the time, but he found this book online called The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Kuntz, and it's from 1913. And I, kind of got stuck on the first part, which was talking about an experiment they did that was published in 1840, where they gave a, they called her a seeress. So like a seer. Um, and she was like blindfolded and they put different rocks in her hands and they gave her rock crystals, so clear quartz, and it gave her a seizure. So, you know, they gave her fluoride and she had diarrhea. So I think you, we have to think about where these ideas come from. And, you know, the spiritualism movement, I think a lot of us think now that it's very over the top and overly dramatic, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to remember that that's kind of where this came from, this idea that you hold something and it does this to you. And, okay, so before then, has there been any sort of um, accounts about people were, I don't know, maybe ancient civilizations like using crystal grids or utilizing these minerals, like holding them or utilizing them as batteries or anything like that? You know, it's kind of really hard to tell. You know, a lot of the, the you know, if, I, if you look at kind of the original source material, they usually will say it's associated with this or you, do it near someone, but they don't really kind of have that direct connection. It's that connection's not really made in, at least in the source material. So, you know, from my understanding of reading things around a little bit, and this is research that I'm still doing, and this is like something I'm really interested in looking at. Um, it's, I, it seems to me that the ideas that we have definitely come from the, you know, kind of Victorian era you know, the kind of the, the spiritualism movement. And I'm not seeing a lot of direct evidence of it. You know, there's, it's usually this is associated with this, but I'm not seeing a lot of like, yeah, I just don't see as much of it. There's a little bit in some other stuff, but it's really unclear if that's the exact thing that they're trying to explain, if that makes any sense at all. So I, I feel like the current way that we work with crystals in terms of energy stuff comes from this kind of 1800s time frame, and it's kind of evolved from there. And so we've taken this idea and then like just kind of kept going with it and adding more and more explanations. Then, okay, what it sounds like, and I'm like a super skeptic when it comes to anything related to nature, because I'm, I jokingly say that I have like zero connection to nature. I love space and I like the stars, but nature, it gives me like a rash, it like makes me sneeze, you know? So it, 
to me right now, it sounds as though it's kind of like diamonds, right? Diamonds didn't really used to have a lot of value. It was gold. Gold was used as currency. But then De Beers, they decided we're going to build a marketing thing around diamonds. And now diamonds are forever. Diamonds are what you give to your loved one. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. So it almost sounds like that. Yeah, I think, you know, unfortunately, I think that there's a lot of marketing involved. And I think that there's a lot of this influx of needing to sell things into kind of the spiritual community. And I see a lot of this just in terms of people coming up with new quote unquote crystals that need to be sold. And the number of times people will ask me about something and I'll have to look it up because I'm like, I don't, I've never heard of this before. What is this? And then you go look it up and find out, oh, it's just a very specific color of quartz from a very specific location, but it's just quartz or something that's been dyed or electroplated. Um, and so there's, I do see a lot of this influx of needing to have more explanation and more new things. And I think that that's kind of the influx of commercialism into the field, not necessarily from the rocks themselves. Wow. So people who are talking about how they got to Moldavite and just because of the Moldavite, all this like trauma was unearthed and they had to work through that. And people in TikTok, just in the comment sections talking about, yeah, you know, Moldavite is like super intense. That may not be a thing, huh? I mean, there's also, you have to remember that there's also, you know, these so psychological things that happen, right? So if someone tells you that Moldavite is going to bring up your trauma and then you get a piece of Moldavite and you hold it, you already have that idea in your mind. So it's very difficult when you have that preconceived idea to separate the response that you have from that. So I actually don't look up a lot of stuff beforehand because I focus more on my experience than what other people tell me. Because I know that if someone tells me this does X, it's going to influence me. And that's just the way our brains work as humans. Okay, so just to recap so far, because you're kind of blowing my mind right now. Like I was always skeptical, but now I'm starting to put together these like points and putting them together in a more cohesive way. So it sounds as though a lot of the things that we associate with crystals, like if you hold them, you'll get this effect. It sounds like something that is uh, a relatively new idea and it has maybe been co-opted by modern society as like a shortcut, almost like, oh, you do this and then this will happen. You know, you don't have to do the work yourself. Also that geologically, that because maybe we don't know where we get the crystals from, it's easy to glamorize, romanticize, or mysticalize <laughs> uh, the origins of these crystals. And that there's many ways to work with crystals and you're not anti-crystal. Like you do work with stones, you work with oh, minerals, yeah. you are. A G. So now naturally my mind is like, okay, so forget all the hype and stuff. How do you, as somebody who is literally trained in the natural world and is also an animist in a witch, how do you work with minerals and crystals in a way that does not uh, sort of like a bypass, spiritually bypass, and instead is like perhaps a very effective way to do magic. So I would say that for me, the most important thing is to have materials from where you are. Um, so a lot of the work that I do, you know, isn't what I would call like active spell work. I do very little of that. I do a lot of personal growth is really important to me. And then I also work a lot in terms of, I do a lot of volunteering, um, citizen science work, and I work with natural hazards. So I'm working very much on kind of being in tune with the natural world in terms of the solid rock. So I think a lot of people think of the natural world, they think of what we call the biosphere, right? So you think of plants, you think of dirt, you think of animals. And I'm more interested in the geosphere. So I work with the solid rock underneath your feet. So when I work with stones, I'm usually going out and finding materials from where I am to connect to where I am. So the stones that I use now are very different from the stones that I used in Hawaii. So I'm currently in Southeast Asia. I used to live in Hawaii before that I lived in Alaska. Um, and I tend to go outside, find something that catches my eye. And that's what I bring home. And that's what I work with. And that's what I use to connect to where I am. 
So I usually use them more as a way to connect to where I am. And that kind of having that deep grounding is kind of the basis for the other work that I do on myself. Wow. So you're talking about something that's very near and dear to me, which is working with the spirits of your local place. Yes. And instead of seeing the stones as your passport into, you know, years and years, like the the shortcut to years and years of therapy, you're just grounding yourself to your local place. Why is that important? I think, you know, for me, it's really important because when you are working on like a trauma or, you know, working through an issue that you have, having that kind of solid base, um, I'm trying not to use, I try to like not use the word when I define something, but it's really hard. Like when you ground yourself, right? You're giving yourself kind of like a solid grounding, like a base to work on. And, you know, one of the things that people talk about a lot when there's earthquakes is that, you know, the ground beneath them moved and it just shook their entire like reference frame and worldview, right? Like it just kind of shakes you up and kind of makes you feel really uneasy. And having that solid grounding is a good way to make sure that you are tethered to where you are, that you can always come back from what you were doing. Um, And it just gives you like a really solid, so kind of, I guess, it's like a scaffolding, right? Like if you're gonna go work up somewhere really high, you wanna make sure you have a really solid scaffolding and you wanna make sure that you have like a safety harness so that if anything happens, you're not just gonna fall, right? You have something to catch you. So to me, that's why grounding is really important because it gives you that solid base in order to do really hard work. This is so opposite of how people are utilizing crystals and and even rocks right now. So the way that I'm observing that many people, especially new witches are utilizing crystals right now is that they're doing a lot of high work, you know, like the shadow work, you know, the sort of like, let's bring out the trauma in us by holding or wearing Moldavite. But, and it's very specific to that, but what you're suggesting is, it sounds almost like the opposite. And I'm wondering, okay, but is it possible to work with Moldavite or like just wear it around your neck and then it's just naturally gonna unearth these things from you? Or is that something where, okay, what, what should we use Moldavite for then? Like, do we not even utilize it because it's really not going to help us even ground? So, I have a really hard time with these kind of things because I think it's really individual. I think it's really important for you to feel what your response is to something. Excuse me, I have to. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, As opposed to, you know, like what someone else says. So, you know, if you think about it, some people, you know, are, are musical. Some people aren't. Some people are really athletic. Some people aren't. And I think that there's this no one size fits all when it comes to working with crystals and rocks. And I think it's important to remember that. So I think some people will have that response, but if you don't, that's not, you know, that's just not you, you know? Some people talk to spirits. I don't, I don't, you know, like the human-y things just like don't even interact with me at all. I'm definitely much more connected to the solid earth. Some people talk to plants. I manage to accidentally kill plants a lot so you know people have different strengths and it's important to recognize that and you know if you want to buy moldavite then buy it but you know like don't think it's going to you know your response to it may be different you know it's it really depends and also moldavite is just a tektite and there's lots of other cool tektites Wait, so you just mentioned tectite. So what are these other cool tectites? So so moldavite is a tectite. So a tectite is basically natural glass, which is the debris that happens when a meteorite impacts the surface of the earth. So it basically smashes into the ground, it melts a bunch of stuff and throws it in the air. That's a tectite. Moldavite is a tectite from a very specific impact in Germany. So the tectite's composition is going to be made up of whatever the meteorite smashed into. So there are a lot of tectites around the world that aren't necessarily moldavite. And the moldavite is basically just melted rock from where the impact was. So 
you could make the same thing depending on how you feel about whether the history of how the rock was made is important or just the chemical composition, you could probably just go take the host rock and melt it and make something similar. Oh my God, my mind immediately went to like, that could be super magical. If you decide that you're in some sort of like workshop where you can do that, you could melt your intentions while you're creating your oh, own. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah, no, no, we're, we're, um, we're a bunch of nerds around here and we're currently working on growing crystals in our house um, because I kind of want to do that. Like if I'm gonna work with a fancy crystal, I would rather that I made it and like put my intention into it like then I know what that one is right as opposed to like I don't know where this came from I don't know what happened to it I don't know like you know like there's so much in the in the supply chain that's just unknown when it comes to crystals I would much rather know exactly where something came from and you know if what's important is the composition and the structure then I would much rather buy something that was lab grown because, you know, there's, it just removes all that other stuff. And, right. you know, mm -hmm. if, if what's important is the history, then you don't have to buy a fancy looking crystal. You can just buy a rock, you know, like the, the, just the rock that looks ugly, like then that doesn't matter, you know, then the look doesn't matter. So I think it's really important to think about what about the rock is important to you as well. Exactly, not just about the hype, that's on witch talk, but actually yeah. what is your purpose of utilizing the rock, utilizing the crystal? Like this clear quartz that I'm holding right now in my hand, it was for experimentation. I didn't really have any sort of intention except to see how it would help me, I don't know, help manifest my ritual work. So let's say that I hired you as a consultant, right? And I was just like, okay, you're a scientist and a witch. I got this clear quartz and I would like to utilize it to help me as I'm doing, I don't know, some sort of manifestation work as in like I'm meditating and hopefully it's going to clear my energy or whatever the fuck it's going to do. Uh, do you have any suggestions? So my first suggestion would be um, to, I would say, get yourself into a meditative state without holding it and see what comes up then you know maybe reach over and grab it and hold on to it physically and see what you feel and what comes up and if it's nothing that's fine doesn't matter then i would you know if you are used to doing energy work try to put energy into it and then let it go and then come back meditate later hold on to it and see if you can feel that like feel the energy that I put inside the rock? Right, exactly. So if when you first hold it, you don't feel anything, you know, then you can say like, okay, well, I'm not getting anything from this, right? So then, you know, try to put your energy into it and then see if you feel it. Um, because if that, if you don't feel anything from that either, then, you know, that is probably not a good way for you to work with that rock. Oh, the instructions of this rock specifically say it's already been cleansed and charged and you should not do it yourself. Wait, is that not kosher? So, so right. So that's why I say the first time you should hold it and see if you feel anything from it. Ah, okay. And if I don't feel anything, then whatever was charged and put into the rock is just not my vibe. Exactly. And it could be, you know, I mean, you always have to remember that, you know, different people are sensitive to different things. So, you know, you may not be sensitive to whatever they say that they put into it. So then you have a rock that you're not sensitive to. So, you know, you need to think of, you, know, you have it though, you bought it. So you got to use it somehow, right? Or, you know, you use it as, you could put it outside, you know, under the full moon and try to catch the light of the full moon in it and then use it as a representation of the full moon in your work. Wait, so, okay, I've never, okay. Uh, this is kind of exciting because I've never put out any sort of rock or any material and made it into like basically an astrological talisman or anything like that. I've never charged anything and held it, you know, almost as like a, a, a store, almost like an like a SD card <laughs> but instead of like video or like pictures, like storing energy into it. 
I've never done that. What does it feel like for you? Because I'm guessing that when you charge something like a crystal or, or mineral and you go to it later, you can feel that energy. What does that feel like? I'm not super sensitive to energies, actually. So to me, it's more of an association. Um, so I think because I'm a geologist and I, I work with kind of the deep earth and the solid earth, that's usually what I get from different rocks. Um, so I really like the salt because it's a very, it's a, it's a rock that's, um, it's basically, it's from some volcanoes, it's lava, um, but it's very close to the composition of the interior of the earth. And it's also very close to the composition of the moon. So it's kind of my favorite thing. It's just very grounding, very solid to me, very comforting. And that's what I, I use a lot. Um, and so I'm not very sensitive to different things. And, you know, that's just me. Some people are, some people aren't. And that's something I had to learn. You know, you know, I tried really hard when I was really young and it just, it just didn't, wasn't my thing. So I think it's important to remember that you can work with these things, even if you're not super sensitive to them. So the, anybody who heard that selenite helps you with like dream magic and stuff and sleeps with selenite under their pillow, it may work, but it may not work. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. You know, I mean, I think that that's um, really important to remember that, you know, that's why I think your personal experience is the most important. So, you know, like you said that you have a spreadsheet, I have just a bunch of note cards, just if you buy something, make it a note card, put it somewhere, and then just keep track of your experience with it. Because you may have a completely different experience than anyone has written. And that's more important than what the book says to me, is your personal experience. Wow. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like there are no guarantees, guys. You need to go and try it yourself. And you know what? Isn't that kind of the point of magic? But in a way, it kind of sucks because we all want that 100% like cure, the thing that's going to cure your life. But it doesn't oh, yeah. sound that way. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I want a shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> Has there been a time where you've worked with a mineral and that you found extremely helpful to you? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I have a piece of basalt that I keep with me almost every day. And it has, you know, it has multiple different uses for me. I mean, like just it being there reminds me of, you know, being back home in Hawaii and, you know, like the ocean. I really miss the Pacific Ocean a lot um, where I am right now. I'm definitely like, it's my ocean and I miss it. Um, but it also has like a smooth side and a rough side. So, you know, if I have it in my hand and I can, you know, like rub it, it it's very calming. It's kind of like a fidget as well. So um, that to me right now is the rock that I'm working with the most. Wow. And again, you work with it in a grounding way. In Yeah. Symbolic. You know, and the history of that rock was that it was erupted. It then went into the ocean and then it was then smoothed by the ocean. So to me, it has kind of both of those, you know, ocean and land aspects to it, which is very important. And so it's, that's the whole history of the rock. And I'm, I'm very interested in kind of like geologic histories of things. And I love looking at landscapes and seeing kind of the history of the landscape and how it was formed. And I, I get a lot out of that. Um, so to me, that's really important. And that's why I tend to buy things that I know exactly where they came from, because otherwise you lose that whole history. And it's just, you know, to me, it's, I have pretty crystals, but I don't work with them because I don't know their story. Wow. I think what you're offering right now mm -hmm. is a paradigm shift of how to work with crystals um, and minerals. And the thing is, I started off this interview kind of like uh, skeptic of all sorts of things, minerals and crystals. But now what I'm realizing is that there is power to working with minerals that in a way we kind of uh, miss that power if we only talk about, ooh, pretty shiny things or ooh, you know, it's a shortcut. Actually what you're suggesting is super exciting because you're talking about some real earth power, real grounding power. 
Yeah, and you know, also if you think about it, some of these things form, you know, there's some minerals that only form like at really intense pressures and temperatures when you take like a piece of oceanic sediment and you shove it way down in the earth and you like remelt it and smush it and then it comes back up as this new mineral that looks completely different. And so these histories of these minerals are also super fascinating. And, you know, they tell you a lot. Some are formed by volcanoes and they erupt and they're, you know, they're just, that's their history. Some are, you know, like sediment, ancient sediment that was then shoved down in the earth and then brought back up. I mean, it's just the range of histories for some of these minerals are absolutely amazing. And so I think just working with one mineral or, you know, not working with a whole rock or understanding where it came from, you lose so much of that story then, you know, some of these are just, they're so old. And yeah, I've just, I've, I'm, I'm a fangirl for geology, so. This is okay. Like, like for real right now, like the, the gravitas and I think just the deep poetry of the minerals that you're talking about, like, it's just like super hit me right now. Like, it's almost like suddenly my view and perspective of minerals has changed because now I'm viewing them as, wow, their superpower is that they're living artifacts of earth poetry, you know, like the way that you're describing them. And so when you hold them in your hand, when you're working with that basalt, when I'm looking at this clear quartz, the thing is, I don't know the history of this. And this is sort of where my disconnect is, but you know the history you know the history of the basalt, you know the journey it had, the alchemy, the literal alchemy it went through, but I don't know shit about this clear quartz. And that's where my sort of like superficial sort of connection to it is. But if I knew the history and maybe I can learn more about the history by by kind of, I don't know, maybe like meditating with it, who knows? Um, Mm. Maybe I can learn more about it. But the way that you're describing working with minerals, it sounds like, sheer poetry powerful primal history primal poetry primal primal and that to me is a sort of power that actually um, many people forget to access because we keep forgetting hi it's not just the spirits that you work with we can work with earth as a spirit as well yeah and i mean if you think about it our planet is is basically this huge engine of um of energy and you know like in the physical sense like in the in the scientific sense of energy right so if anyone of your listeners has felt an earthquake you know they felt this just this little teeny movement like this little smidge of a movement of the surface and if you think about it the way you know the earth is constantly in motion everything is moving nowhere on the planet is standing still we are all in motion and those movements are basically taken up by these little teeny earthquakes, these little things that happen like bit by bit. It's like a stop motion. And if you look at the earth on its time scale, things are just sliding past each other. You know, mountains are being formed. They're being eroded. You know, all this stuff is happening. And we just have this little teeny time slice that we're looking at. And, uh, you know, a lot of books talk about grounding and they talk about grounding, you know, like into the soil. But I think you miss so much if you don't like ground into the solid earth itself because you know the soil is on top of a tectonic plate which is moving, right? So you're already only grounding to something that's moving. It's not even a fixed point. So when I do grounding, I ground through the tectonic plate, through the mantle, through the outer core to the actual core of the planet, you know? And it, it you, when I do that meditation, you know, at first it feels like, wee, I'm a kite because everything is in motion and everything is moving except that core but it gives you that anchor and that anchor to me is really important and that is the only fixed point on our planet is the core I am so getting chills right now I'm actually feeling kind of emotional because the way that you've recontextualize that meditation which you go on youtube you can find so many of like make your your toes into roots and they're going into the core but you've brought up something very important the the plates the tectonic plates they literally are shifting constantly that's why all the continents they're like constantly moving right little bit by little bit so to to ground to the earth to ground to just beneath the tectonic plates even you know it's 
deeper earth and I'm looking at this crystal that I'm holding in my hand right now and I just am apologizing to it I'm just like you know dude you know I am so sorry that I I kind of looked at you as sort of like this pretty paperweight but you come from the part of earth that's beneath the changing tectonic plate shifting all that stuff right or maybe it's part of it but it has a source that maybe yeah. deeper so um, quartz is silicon dioxide, so it's SiO2. So it's silica and two oxygens. Um, and it's the second most common mineral in the crust. Mm. So it comes from the tectonic plate. So the, the tectonic plates are, are made up of different types of minerals. And there's two different types of plates. There's the oceanic and the continental. And we basically are all on the continental. So the majority of the crust or is, is feldspar, which would be like moonstone is a feldspar and uh, labradorite is a feldspar um, and quartz. So, you know, they're the fluffy minerals that make the, the, the tectonic plates like sit up higher so that they're above the oceans and we can actually, you know, hang out above the ocean. Oh, okay. So, this quartz that I'm holding in my hand, it comes from a family that basically makes us so that we don't all have to be like swimming in the ocean. They're like helping yeah. us like, wow, okay. So here yeah, I so, yeah. Yeah, so you know, like when I, growing up, I would go to the beach and I was always attracted by those quartz pebbles, you know, little white pebbles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's such a huge part of the ground beneath your feet. So you could use it to connect quartz underneath your feet. And depending on where you are, you may have more or less quartz and it may be in the form of like sandstone or, you know, um, in sometimes there's in the mountains, you have like these really thick quartz veins as well going through all of the different rock units. So, you know, I, I really think knowing where different minerals come from can also help you connect to kind of what's underneath your feet. Uh, and the USGS, if you're in the United States has a ton of geologic maps that are free so you can look up what you have, where you are. Um, I also really like the rock hounding groups a lot of the times will know like the geology of where you are and what different cool minerals are where you are. So I think it's, it's really important to kind of understand what's underneath your feet uh, and then connect to that. And you can use fancy pretty crystals to do that. But you know, if you live somewhere and you have a type of crystal that doesn't occur where you are at all like its home is way far away from where you are so the moldavite that many people are using unless they're actually from that area in germany probably the moldavite is from afar yeah i mean it tectites can be thrown pretty far so um there is a bunch that are in australia they're from a uh impact site that they haven't found yet but they think it's in laos um and, but it's also made up of the host rock from that area. So, you know, a, a Moldavite is basically, the history of the Moldavite is the rock that was there beforehand and then it got smashed and melted and thrown up in the air. So, you know, it has a pretty crazy history itself, but it's specific to that location. Kathleen, mm. where can people find out more about you? Cause I mean, the the facts that you're, you're, you're giving us right now, the gold nuggets, <laughs> <laughs> pun intended, that you're dropping right now are just so absolutely just, I don't know, it's like totally shifting my mind, you know, and I've had many years of prejudice against crystals and minerals and stuff like that. So where can they find more information about you and hear more about your thoughts about minerals and crystals? So I have a podcast called Borealis Meditation which is, should be on almost all podcast locations. I think I got them all. Um, and then I have a website, patborealis.com, which is kind of where I keep um, all my stuff. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at patborealis. Lovely, wonderful. I, I am wanting you to come out with this like book about history of rocks for witches. I mean, if that happened, I would be the first to buy the book because I am so enthralled with what you're telling me right now. Thank you. Yeah, and I do have a, um, a grounding meditation on my website under resources that is a grounding meditation to the core, if people are interested in that. 
grounding so it's an actual mp3 or like a video yeah it's an mp3 yeah guys go get it go get it go get it i am absolutely going to get it like seriously like right after we finish talking i'm just gonna totally and absolutely just like listen to that mp3 i'm just i'm just right now i'm like on one hand super hype but on the other hand i am feeling i am feeling just like the the poetic primal energy of the the entire like history of yeah i'm on i'm on fucking planet earth and it never occurred to me it never occurred to me for some reason to actually view rocks with the same sort of respect that i would view i don't know people love to talk work with jupiter but it's like hello earth we're on earth cool i mean like we're we're the only planet that's got water on it right now like that's pretty cool that is super cool. And it's basically hosting us. It's hosting yeah. us as living things. Oh yeah. my God. Oh my God. I just want to apologize to planet earth that I just talked so much shit about earth for all my life. And I was talking shit about grass and I was talking shit about moss. And I was just talking shit about earth constantly and talking about man. I just care about like outer space and stuff, but earth. Yeah. Oh my God. You've totally reframed how I view earth. So, Kathleen, thank you so much, so, so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan signing off.